Now, we are in a series in the book of Mark, okay? We've been challenging one another to read at least two chapters a week. So many of you are in Mark chapter uh, 7 and chapter 8 this week, but today I actually want to take a look at something that's from Mark chapter 4, so you've probably already read it a number of times. Um, But I want to invite my very favorite student teacher in the entire world, um, our daughter, Lauren Kane, to come up and lead scripture and read scripture for us. And uh, just out of reverence for God's word, let's stand together as we, as we hear God's word read and just pray, even as we're hearing it, that God would speak to us powerfully through it. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, and because the harvest has come. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything in them without using a parable. When he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Please have a seat. As you do, I'd like you to, uh, we're, we have, I've got two bowls of mustard seeds. So uh, let's see how we do for just passing them around. Take at least one mustard seed, okay? So, and make sure that nobody gets left out. So keep passing the bowls Around as we go. Jeff, would you like mustard seed? Uh-huh. Okay, here, let me take, how you take one and I'll pass back to Jeannie. Uh-huh. Okay, there we go. All right. Okay, so start passing those around because I want you to keep, to keep that mustard seed, keep that mustard seed in your hand throughout the message. Make sure to not leave anybody out. So if there's a, if it's a bowl that just stays there, that means it's your, you, you are now an usher and you get to move the bowl. Spread the seed. Something, no, that's... Spread the word. Because once upon a time, there was a very sophisticated man in a very, very sophisticated city with a very sophisticated job and a very sophisticated degree. He had a PhD in computer science. He was working on a very sophisticated project at his very sophisticated Computer station, he was deep in the metaverse, goggles on, working with AI algorithms for, a, for the adaptive, circ, adaptive source code that would be used in the upcoming and very sophisticated 6G technology. He's deep in the metaverse, deep working his sophisticated ways when he gets a tap on his shoulder from his assistant and he's rudely interrupted. And a piece of rolled up thermal paper is put on his desk in front of him. He looks at it with disgust. What's that? He says. The assistant points at the rolled up thermal paper and says, That's a fax. He says, I know it's a fax. What's it about? The assistant opens up the, fat, the, the thermal paper and says, well, it, 
it's a, it's a fax from your late uncle's attorney. It seems that you've, well, you've inherited the seed line for a breed of heirloom tomatoes. But, but, there, but there's a catch. Is that those tomatoes, it's, it says in the facts, it needs, they need to be planted every year so that the seed line can stay fresh. And that if you don't want this seed line, if you don't want these heirloom tomatoes in your name, well, or you fail to plant these seeds, then the, the heirloom line of heirloom tomatoes will go on to another family. The, the, the family of the, uh, that's, that's been managers of, of your uncle's farm for all those years. Matt had never heard of heirloom tomatoes. So he Googled it. Apparently, they're quite a thing. And apparently, the line that he had inherited was quite a, quite a thing. Uh, that people, fancy, sophisticated people, were paying top dollar for these heirloom tomatoes. But they were very, very difficult to replicate. It seems that every time people tried to replicate the seeds from the heirloom tomatoes, they would fail. They would, the only way that these heirloom tomatoes seemed to work is if, is if you got them as the seedlings from the original source. Huh, he thinks to himself. Well, I suppose I should go visit my uncle's farm. He reads further down into the facts and there, there are, there's instructions. There's even a map. Get that in there. And the line that, that in the farmhouse, there will be an envelope that has instructions for how to plant these heirloom tomatoes. So the very sophisticated man gets into his very sophisticated car, pushes the GPS button, and drives from the... What's the word? Thank you. I'm running out of words. Sophisticated city into the very unsophisticated farming community where his late uncle lived. Turns out he actually needed the map because Google Maps wasn't working there and his sophisticated 5G phone had no signal there. But he pulls up to the farmhouse, gets out of his sophisticated car, and, and he meets there Jenny, who's one of the, the members of the, of the family that have been managers of this farm for all these years. And she greets him and goes into the farmhouse and they're right there on the middle of the of the. Uh, dining room table is the envelope that has instructions for how to grow the heirloom tomatoes. It opens up the envelope and it says this. Get the dirt from behind the barn, from the swampy part. Put the dirt in, in, the, in the, the, the planter. Cover the seeds with about half an inch of dirt and put the planter in front of the front window in the dining room. And in about 10 days, there'll be shoots. Transplant the plants when the plants are about three inches high. The man looks at the instructions and says, That's it? That's the secret? Use the swampy soil from behind the barn? That's the whole secret. That's the whole secret. Well, he walks out behind the barn. 
And sure enough, the, the ground is quite swampy. It smells like skunk, skunk cabbage. Have you ever smelled skunk cabbage? He, he hates it. It's gross. It's out there in the swampy soil behind the barn and thinks, oh, I can do better than this. So he calls up his sophisticated friends, and the next day, a FedEx truck pulls up that has a, a full kind of grow lamp system and the best and the best um, the best potting soil known to man. He sets up the apparatus with the with the grow lamps and the potting soil, and he puts the seeds into into the into the, the seed bed, and he waits, knowing that this is going to work. Five days, ten days later, nothing. Hmm. He makes a few more phone calls, gets fancier hydroponic system, computerizes the whole thing, finds another line of very sophisticated, very fancy potting soil, puts it all in there, puts the seeds in there, and, and then is, is frustrated because there's, there's hardly any signal out there as he's trying to, trying to work remotely on his, on his projects while he's waiting for these shoots to rise, to, to shoots to shoot, I suppose. Five days, 10 days, 15 days later, nothing happens. Hmm. Absolutely frustrated. He flips over the whole thing and drives back to the, to the sophisticated city. Sorry that he had wasted his time. Meanwhile, the, assist, the, uh, the farm manager, Jenny, she comes into the old farmhouse. She gets some dirt from behind the barn, the swampy dirt that smells a little bit like skunk cabbage, puts it in the potting, puts it in, 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 in what's that thing called that you... That you Planter, thank you. Puts it in, <laughs> you can tell I'm more the sophisticated. Puts it in the planter, puts the seeds, puts a half an inch on top of the seeds of the, of, the, of, the, of the soil from behind the barn, the swampy soil that smells a little bit like skunk cabbage. And eight days later, little shoots start to come up. And when they grow to be about three inches tall, just like the instructions said, she would transplant them. And she would send them off to the various places. And she and her family made a very good living selling heirloom tomatoes. The reason why I told you that story, that make-believe story, in case you're wondering, um, (laughs) is just to illustrate two things. One, um, seeds are really pretty important. And two... There's a lot going on with seeds that we still don't understand. And that's the truth. Now, in this passage in Mark chapter 4, um, the, 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 the scene is Jesus is in a boat. He's teaching a huge crowd of people. And he tells three stories all back to back, all of them involving seeds. First one, the parable of the sower. You might already have heard it or know it. You know, this idea that the sower, he's sowing his seeds, but the seeds fall onto different kinds of soil. Some seeds fall along the path and the birds come and they, they eat the seeds up. You've seen this. Some of them, they fall into, into rocky places where they have no root. So they start to grow for a while, but they quickly die off in the sun. 
Others, they, they grow up in soil that has all these weeds in them. And so the, the seeds that, or the, the shoots, they shoot up, but then the weeds, they choke them back. And then other seeds fall in good soil and yield a really great crop. A hundred times more than what was, up to a hundred times more what was planted. Then we hear these two other stories that, that Lauren just read. And the, the line that I've been just uh, fixated on this past week, it's just captured my attention, is, is this one. In Mark chapter 4, verse 27. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not, say that with me, does not know how. It's so weird. Seeds, we know how to make them work, more or less. We don't know how they work. Think about that. We don't know how they work. And even all these years later, with all our sophisticated equipment, all our wonderful computers, all our capacity to share kitten photos at lightning speed around the planet when need be. We still, there's still so much we don't know about seeds. The kingdom of God is like seeds. It grows and you don't even know how it's going to grow. Now, we are told the things to do that are part of participating in the kingdom of God as we trust Jesus, as we practice um, you know, gratitude and generosity and forgiveness and kindness and all those things, all the things Jesus tells us to do that, that make us participants in the kingdom. This is how the kingdom of God advances, but we don't know how it works. We don't know how it works. There is so much more going on in the kingdom of God than you or I or we can understand. Now, not that long ago, they started mapping the genomes of plants. Do you know the very first um, seed that had its genome mapped? It, the, its name is this. It's uh, Arabidosis. I'm going to get this wrong. I had to put it on. Anyways. Thalatalia. I probably butchered both of those things. That's also the very first seed that they've now grown in outer space. First seed that would grow in the International Space Station. Do you know what kind of plant that is? You'll never guess. It's a mustard seed. It's a mustard seed. I wonder if Jesus knew that when he was talking about the kingdom of God 2,000 years ago. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's a tiny, tiny little seed. Now, do you have the, do you have the seed in your hand? Did everybody get one? Because I, I want you to look at it because it's real small. It's really small. Now, in, in the mustard seed genome, there are 125 million base pairs. Now, it's actually one of the smaller genomes for seeds. 125 million. Yeah. Or to maybe put it this way, and I'm going to make a parallel that I know is not an exact parallel, so you don't need to tell me that it's not an exact parallel, but just work with me on this, okay? 
If you were to put that into computer language, you could think of that as 125 million lines of code. Do you know how many million lines of code are in your fancy smartphone? If you have an Android phone, it's about 12 million lines of code. And in this tiny little seed in your hand, 125 million base pairs in the genome. In this genome that tells the seed all of, all of what, it's, what it could one day be, the plant it could one day become, I mean, how to, how to grow, how to reproduce, how to heal itself. Can your phone do that? It's not as smart as you think. Can it self-power? No. But you put this seed in the right dirt with some sunlight and a little bit of water and it will take care of everything because of 125 million base pairs of information in this teeny tiny seed. Do you see the seed in your hand? Yeah. Now, uh, last Monday was Canadian Thanksgiving, which meant Anita made turkey, which meant I ate turkey sandwiches all week long, which meant this, because a really good turkey sandwich, work with me here, it's got mustard on it. Now, she got me that, some of this good mustard, not that, not that gloppy yellow stuff you put on the, on the hot dogs, you know, that gross stuff. This is the good stuff. You know where, you, where the, you can see the mustard seeds in the mustard? Who likes that kind of mustard seeds? Yeah, thank you. People with class. That's right. That's right. So you these mustard seeds, there's mustard seeds all over my sandwich. And I'm biting into my yummy turkey and mustard sandwich. And there's hundreds, if not thousands, of these mustard seeds in that sandwich. Trillions, trillions of base pairs. Very, very tasty base pairs. So much is going on in these tiny, tiny little seeds. Now, if you were out on a hike, maybe in the desert somewhere, and you found a smartphone, uh, let's say a, let's say a, a, a nice fancy uh, a, one, of, one of the nice fancy Apple ones, an, a, an Apple. What's the latest one? Fourteen. Fourteen. You found an, you find an, an Apple, an iPhone fourteen on the ground. You probably wouldn't think, "Wow, I wonder how this just how how, how this just." occurred by random chance. You would probably think somebody lost their iPhone. Or even more so you'd think, wow, somebody designed a pretty amazing device. You know what, friends? Somebody designed a pretty amazing device. And every single one of them, 125 million base pairs. Take a look at that seed again. See, look at it in your hand. Some of you aren't looking at your seed. Come on. Work with me. Work with me, people. In that seed, all the instructions needed to tell that seed what to do. And we don't even know how it all works. Realize you were about that size at one point. With all of the instructions inside that little seed, 
that would tell your body how to grow, what its capacities are, how to reproduce, how to heal. It's all of that data in that tiny, tiny little space. And the more, the, I, I love science because the more we delve into science, the more we realize how much we don't know. Like we're, we are just tipping our, our toes into this vast ocean of information. Okay, one more nerd thing and then we'll get to the, to, to the other, other, other big idea. Because I was, I was reading about seeds over the last couple of weeks on just getting ready for this. And do you, do you know one of the, the latest things they've discovered about plants is that plants can actually communicate with one another? There's a type of there's a there's this fungal interaction with with plant roots that allows um, the, the the roots of the plant to better get the nutrients from the soil around it. It's this like symbiotic relationship between a, th- a type of fungus and, and the roots of most plants. But through those fungal networks, there are chemicals where plants can actually send messages to other plants. Like here's there's an aphid attack coming, or you know a drought season. They actually can favor some of their own kinds. They're, they can favor their own offspring. We're just discovering this. Look it up. You, you don't need to believe me. Google this stuff. Is that there are there are f- chemical fungal networks under the soil all the time where plant there's a degree of chemical language chemical communication happening between plants we when you go walking in a field you are walking on top of an information superhighway there there are connections everywhere that that we are just starting to discover we don't know how they all work we're just starting to discover all this stuff And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Like a mustard seed. It's just, it's tiny. But it can become something really, really big. We're part of that kingdom. He invites us into it. So here's the big idea. All that story, all that nerding, all that, you know, unwanted science lesson, Welcome to church. To make this one point, one big point, remember this, okay? With the kingdom of God, you don't have to understand how it works. You just need to trust that it works. It's like the seeds, because you don't understand how it works. You don't need to understand how it works. You just need to trust that it works. There's an old hymn that said, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. The kingdom of God is at work all around you, all around me, all around us, all the time. There is way more going on in every given moment than we could possibly understand. And Jesus invites us into that. And our role, just like that mustard seed that you have no, like, I mean, maybe now you're going you're gonna to get all, all nerdy about seeds with me on this. Like, there's so much going on. There's so much going on. All these 
interconnectivities that we so frequently miss. That all we can do is, like that man in the first story, or more particularly the farmhand in the first story, we follow the instructions and trust God for the results. Trust and obey, or to put it this way, small, steady acts of trust. Take a look at that seed in your hand. It's really small. But mustard seeds, when they're planted in the right soil, can get really big. And they can make lots and lots of other mustard seeds that you can put on your turkey sandwich. And they're yummy. Small, small acts of trust. So often we think that if God's calling us to do something, we, we must be called to do something big for the kingdom. And so we, we, we judge wrongly at times. Like, we think that big things are better. Well, in God's economy, it seems that it is faithful things that are better. He can use really small things. You have no idea what that one day of teaching Sunday school could do. What, what a, a kind word to the person in the checkout line, and if you're like me, you're usually frustrated in a checkout line because you're just impatient. You just can't wait to get out. That's me. That prompting to prayer that you... That it's just a little prayer. That texting a friend. In God's economy... In God's kingdom, there are no small things. He doesn't call you to be big for the kingdom. He calls you and me and us to be faithful for the kingdom. Small, small, steady acts of trust. So I want to ask you, friends, what small or large act of trust is God calling you to? Keep that seed in your hand. The seed in your hand. It doesn't need to be something big. Maybe he's calling you to something big, but it doesn't need to be something big. What small act of trust is he calling you to? Lord, may we be faithful with the small things, not just the big things. Lord, may we be humble because we have no idea all that's going on in the world. Lord, may we live in wonder at the intricacies and the connections and the complexity around us. May we trust you, God. May we trust you for the results. Is the Lord laying something on your heart? Just just take a moment. Just give it to him. Is there a friend you need to text? Is there an appointment you need to make? Is there a conversation you need to have? Is there an attitude you need to drop? 
what small or whatever size act of trust is God calling you to? Okay, I told you one fake story. I want to tell you a a true one. In 1921, David and Svea Flood, they were living in, in Sweden and they felt a call to missions. So they ended up in the village of, um, uh, I'm going to read this, hang on, Noldera, in what was at the time the, uh, the Belgian Congo, after which came known as Zaire, and now is known as the Democratic Republic of Congo. And, uh, and they, uh, so they started working with a missions organization there, and they moved to this village, along with another family, the Ericsons, who also felt a, a call to missions. They, they came there. Uh, but when they got to the, to the village, um, they, the, none of the, the village didn't want them living anywhere close by. They were understandably extremely skeptical of Westerners. Extremely and so they were forced, the only place they could live was, was several miles outside of the village. And, uh, and they, they were allowed virtually no contact with the village at all. So they were extremely frustrated. But there was one exception. See, there was this little boy that every, well, twice a week, he was allowed to travel from the village to, to their little house to sell them eggs and chickens because they, they, they needed food and the village wanted money. So twice a week this little boy would go from the, ho- from the village to the house and that was the only contact that the floods and the Ericsons could have with this village that they felt so very, very called to. Well, Svia, um, she thought, well, if this is the only person we get to talk to, I better do my best to tell him about Jesus. So she talked to this little boy. And uh, over time, it seems that he, 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 he heard the message. He got it. He got the message of Jesus and he responded to it. And, and, but then he would just go back to the village and he was just a little boy. Nobody would listen to, to him. And the years went on and it was just that, you know, that, that one little boy coming you know, every couple of times a week. And they... Uh, they got really discouraged. The, the Ericsons, they got sick and tired of being sick and tired. They had several bouts of malaria. And so they left the village and they went back to the, to the mission compound in the other part of the country where they could be with other, other people, where they could do the real work. Uh, and that was leaving David and Sevilla alone in the village. Well, shortly after, Sevilla got pregnant. And, um, and then... Uh, well, she, she delivered there in the village. Uh, and after she had had over, just like the Ericsons, she'd had several rounds of malaria over the last few years. She was pretty weakened and not having a lot of access to medical care. Uh, about a week after she, uh, after she gave birth to, um, well, the, the little girl that we call, they called uh, Ina, well, she, she died. She died there in the village. 
And so David, this is the point where he just cracked. Uh, he, he, he buried, he buried her. So his 27-year-old wife just buried her there and, and just knew in that moment that God had disappointed them. God had ruined their life. And so he decided to go back to Sweden. But he, he went and he took, and he took the daughter, Ina, to, uh, took her back to the, to the missions outpost and gave her to the Ericsons. You know, I'm, I'm, no, I'm in no place to raise a, to raise a child. I'm just, I'm too depressed. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm going back home. And so little, little baby Ina was being raised there as her, as her dad went back to Sweden, having given up on his faith, given up on God, given up on everything. Well, shortly after that, about a, a couple months after after that, the, uh, the Ericsons unexpectedly, both of them died. And so little baby Ina was given to an American missions couple who took her back to North Dakota and raised her there. After, after Ina, who, um, who's, if you end up looking her up, she became known as Augie, or Agnes Hurst. Uh, she... Uh, well, she was, she was reading a missions magazine, and she saw this picture. Let's put the picture up on the screen. This picture right here. Okay. Can, I know it's hard to see it, but if you look on the, on the, on the, the, the crossbar, there, there's, a, there's a word. Sevilla Flood. Sevilla Flood. That's your mom's name. She thought, that is so strange that there would be a fairly ornate cross back in the village where her mom died. How strange is that? She got the answer a few years later when she was at a conference and she met the Reverend Jean Raguta. Here's a picture. It's not a very good one. It's the best I could find. Reverend Jean Raguta who came up to her and after she introduced herself he said this, I was a little boy. I was a little boy. And after your family left, of course, nobody would listen to me, but I grew up and I started a school and I told all the students there about Jesus. And they told their parents. And now in that same village, there are more than 600 Christians. But you see, he wasn't just there. He was also, I mean, she met him at a missions conference because he was one of the international leaders of the Pentecostal church in the Democratic Republic of Congo. He said, Agnes... There are 110,000 Christians in the Democratic Republic of Congo who can trace their faith heritage back through your mother's faithfulness. Your mother's faithfulness. 110,000 believers. Friends, that's how the kingdom of God works. Look, at, look, look up, if you don't believe me in that story, by the way, see, Agnes 
and her husband um, ended up actually being the, well, her husband was the first president of Northwest College in Kirkland. The, uh, it's the Pentecostal college uh, that uh, maybe you've heard of. And if, you, and if you're interested in, in Seattle, you can go visit her grave. But friends, that's how the kingdom of God works. There are no small actions. All there is are opportunities for faith. So what small mustard seed act of faith is God calling you to take? Do it. Amen.